A, thank you for gathering us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are so relational that you would die for us. Thank you for just all that is encompassed in who you are. Lord, have your way with us now, please. Guide us and lead us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as we read your word together, that your Holy Spirit would do whatever needs to be done in each and every one of us, including me, that, uh, that we would have a better understanding of who you are and of how much you love us and what our response should be to that. So please have your way with us now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 5. Happy Easter. That's what I'm talking about. Um, so, if you're a visitor, normally we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. We're due for, for Titus chapter 2 this week. We're pausing Titus chapter 2, and we're going to talk about, uh, frankly, my favorite Easter story. Okay? Or my, I should say my favorite uh, bit of Easter-related biblical history because it's not a story. It's a historical event that happened, okay? Um, and I'll tell you what got me on this, um, just as a prelude, if you will. Um, if you've been here for uh, a number of years, you'll know this is a familiar story, and you'll know that I love to talk about this one because I always gravitate back to it on Easter. And um, frankly, um, if you don't know, we were in... By the way, during my announcements... Everybody give it up for Cohen Geert. He counted 41 ums that I recited <laughs> during the announcements. I didn't want to know the answer to the question, so I didn't ask him if he remembered a single announcement. But he knew that I ummed 41 times. And so, as my background uh, thing, I'm, I'm, I'm umming, yeah. So, um, So we were in Israel uh, a few weeks ago, you may or may not know, and one of the places that we went to was the shoreline on the Sea of Galilee where many believe that the events of John 21 happened. And so it honestly touched my heart again, as it always does, and you know there's this thing, if you're a pastor, and Easter comes around, and you know, in the next year, Easter's going to come around again. And check this out. It comes every year. And so there's this thing that happens to a pastor sometimes where he's got to come up with something fresh, right? And I'm just telling you my troubles, right? But I, after listening to that teaching on the beach and, or on the shoreline there and uh, 
kind of thinking about it and reflecting on it, I told Tracy, I said, I think I'm going to talk about this every Easter for the rest of my life. So, next year, we'll probably ditto this. All right? But it's a great story. It's just a great, great story. Easter is a national holiday. Is that true? I think it is. Last I checked, it was. Don't anybody Google. Let's just say it is. It's church. We can do whatever we want. Let's just say it's a national holiday. Everybody okay with that? Raise your hand if you'd say, you know, for me, it's a national holiday. I'm celebrating it. Right? Easter's a national holiday. We might even say Easter's a religious holiday. All right? Haven't lost anybody yet? Okay, good. We might even dial it down a little bit. I hope you see what I'm doing here. We might even say it's a Christian holiday. Everybody still with me? It's a national holiday. It's a religious holiday. It's a Christian holiday. Right? Everybody good? How about it's a personal holiday? Now, I'm not so naive to say, and I'm not, this is not any kind of judgmental statement at all, but the reality is, maybe in a room this size, when I went from a national holiday to a religious holiday to a Christian holiday to a personal holiday, I might have lost you along the way. And I'm going to say it's okay. All right? Does that make sense? It's at least a national holiday for, all, for every one of us. We would probably each agree that it's a religious holiday. We would probably each agree that it's a Christian holiday. But what I want us to get today, at least what I want to try to explain today, is that it's a very personal holiday. It's a very personal holiday. And I think it's important that we not lose sight of the personal for the religious or for the Christian or for the national. Let's not lose sight of the fact that this is a personal holiday. If we call it a religious holiday only, it's a great mistake. Does it have personal application for our lives? You bet it does. So, since it's Easter and some of you come from more traditional church backgrounds, right? I'm going to do some alliteration. Now we're talking. Almost poetry. All right? Starting with the same letter, right? Some of you are like, oh, no. Be careful not to confuse the religion of Christianity with a personal relationship with the risen Jesus Christ. Be careful. Be careful not to confuse those two things. The religion of Christianity with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us go to church because we're Christians. And that's great. We need to first and foremost 
come to church because we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's eternally greater. That's the first be careful. Be careful not to confuse the religion of Christianity with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, be careful not to, re- be careful not to let religion or religious people define the character of God. I'm super burdened by this. Super burdened by this. You know, in my day job as a doctor, I hear story after story after story that would curl your hair related to somebody's perception, maybe from when they were a child, maybe from last week, maybe from whatever, their perception of what it means to be a Christian through the eyes of their sort of inputs that they've had over the years. Does that make sense? And some of those are just frankly destructive. I heard one this week that was, that was none of, nothing less than demonic. A, a tormented person relating back to a, to a childhood demonic experience at the hands of a religious leader. You know what that person struggles with today? Understanding who God is. Does that make sense? Number one, be careful not to confuse Christianity with a personal relationship with Jesus. Number two, be careful not to let religion or religious people define the character of God for us. Which would make you say, well, how should we define the character of God? Thanks for asking. Be careful to define truth, especially regarding the nature of God, as it is given to us in the Bible. The Bible. The Bible is God's word that he chose to preserve for us. Now, you may struggle with that. If you struggle with that, can I tell you there's a book back there, More Than a Carpenter, that'll break down for you how we got Christianity, how we got our ideas of the resurrection of the dead, how we got our scripture. If you can't, I'm going to start with a starting point for the rest of our time here, assuming that this is the inspired, inerrant word of God. Now, I'm also not naive enough to know, I mean, I'm not so naive to not realize that there may be some that won't agree with me on that. I'm okay with that. If that's you, I would encourage you to take one of those books back there and honestly, intellectually, spiritually, and emotionally, honestly, read that book and ask yourself, is this Bible real or not? Because I can tell you this, my life, my life stands on this book. And I'll tell you this, anything else is not worth standing on. Not my politics, not my money, not my sociology, not my opinions, not your opinions, not my heritage, not my culture, nothing. Nothing is worth standing on like the truth that is in this book. And if you have, a trouble, if you have trouble with that, 
I, again, if you have trouble with that, I get it. I want you to be, I want you to be, I want you to pull back the layers of the onion. I'm inviting you to pull back the layers of the onion. There, that book is a great place to start. And I would invite you to do that. Okay? If you're okay with me, that this is the inerrant, inspired word of God. Let me just say, just intrinsically, that's what this book claims to be. <laughs> so, if, if you don't agree with me that this is the inerrant, inspired word of God, then either you haven't read it all, or you have, but you don't believe it. And that's okay too, Right? But I'm just saying, it is what it, it, that is what it claims to be. It says in here, all Scripture. What's the word all mean? All Scripture. If I went back there and said, I'm going to eat all of that ham, how much is left for you? None. Good. I haven't lost anybody yet, right? That's math. It slipped some math in on you. All leaves none, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does that mean? It means I can stand on this. That's all I need. I can stand on this. Jesus said, he who hears these words of mine and does them it's like a guy that builds his house on a rock. The rains come, the winds blow, the house, no biggie. Right? He said, the guy that hears these words of mine, today, guess what you're hearing? These words of his. The person that hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The same winds come, the same rains blow that happened to the other guy. Have you noticed that life is life for everybody? In some way or in some capacity or another. The same winds come, the same rains blow, and that house crashes. That's what Jesus said about this word. The psalmist said, blessed is the person who delights in this word and meditates on it day and night. He's going to be like a tree planted by the river who, whose leaves won't wither and who bears fruit in season. This word is this word. And this word claims to have all the answers. Fair enough? So uh, it's okay if I read it? All right, let's read it. Just be careful about the three, big, the three be carefuls. Be careful, number one, not to confuse religion with a personal relationship with Jesus. Number two, be careful not to let religion or religious people define the character of God. And number three, be careful to define the character of God and all other truth in the words of the Scripture. So, we said, what does Easter mean to us? We said, is it a national holiday or is it a religious holiday or is it a Christian holiday or is it a personal holiday? I think there's a great story in the life of, the, of Peter the Apostle. I love this story. So, but in order to see really the context for what we're going to get into, we've got to see how it starts. And so we're going to paint some context. All right? I told you a long time ago to go to Luke chapter 5. Did everybody do that a long time ago? Yeah, raise your hand if you remember that. 
It's a long time ago. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the, lake, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Simon is also called Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. So when he stops, so big crowd along the edge of the shoreline. Jesus needs a better sort of venue. He borrows Simon Peter's boat, goes out from the water a little bit uh, so they can hear him. Right? He gives his sermon. Afterward, when he'd stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet, or Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on. Everybody get that? From now on, you will catch men. Everybody got that? From now on, you will catch men. Just like I said, if I eat all the ham, right? What does from now on mean? When does that stop? Never. From now on, you're going to catch men. So... When they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we're going to look at the life of Peter and how it was impacted by Jesus. Okay? It starts, you know, Peter barely knows who Jesus is, but there is something about Peter loans Jesus his boat. All right, that's gracious. Jesus then teaches, and something about that teaching, afterwards Jesus says, hey, Simon, go out and use your boat and catch some fish. And Simon calls him what? Master. There's something about Simon's recognition of Jesus that he would call him Master. Right? Now, we wouldn't just automatically call somebody Master if they were a perfect stranger. That's a relational term, right? It's a submitted relational term. It's a respectful submitted relational term. Master... You know what? We went fishing all night last night and caught nothing. I was talking to a guy today. Went yesterday all day. Caught a cold. <laughs> Didn't quite catch cold, but caught one lame little pathetic fish, right? You guys know how that feeling, right? You ever had that feeling? Yeah. He said, Master, we fished all night and caught nothing. But what the heck? Since you said so, we'll go out there. I want you to see this in Peter's heart. We're going to talk about Peter's failures here a little bit, okay? But there's going to be a common theme throughout this. And Peter is a man who's teachable, who's humble, and who's willing to yield. Okay? He's like, sure, whatever. No harm, right? He did it all night. Didn't hurt him. So, it, yeah. 
And lo and behold, they get a great catch of fish, so much that Peter recognizes it as miraculous. And now, instead of just saying, oh yeah, master, we'll go out, now he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. There's a progression. And then the progression says, Jesus tells him, you know what? This fishing thing, that's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. But from now on, from now on, you're going to catch what? Men. From now on, you're going to catch men. Now, I think Peter interpreted that the way I'm trying to help us interpret it that because it says, so they got their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Now imagine this. Peter's a professional fisherman. This is his livelihood. This is his livelihood. Imagine you're a professional fisherman. This is all you know. This is all your family knows. You're, you're in it with your brother and your friends and everybody else. And Peter says, from now on, you're going to catch men. Something has happened in Peter's brain that he's recognized this great catch of fish that Peter, that maybe it was Jesus teaching before that. They sort of set the stage. And something has now happened that Peter's gone from a stranger to a guy that just leaves the fishing behind and turns and follows Jesus. Right? Why? Because Jesus said, from now on, you're going to catch men. If Jesus, if you're a professional fisherman and Jesus says, from now on, you're going to catch men. Do you need your boat? Do you need your tackle? No. Do you need the cool little like lure that's just magic for every largemouth bass? Right? A good fisherman has like the secret lure, right? Do you need any of that if you're going to forsake, if you're going to follow, catch men from now on? No. no, you don't need any of that. So, fast forward. Peter follows Jesus. He does, in fact, forsake all. Leaves the fishing behind. Follows Jesus for about three years. Watches Jesus do miracle after miracle after miracle. He's got a front row seat for the whole thing. Listens to the Sermon on the Mount. Listens to the Olivet Discourse. Listens to all this amazing teaching that Jesus does. Listens and sees, listens and sees, listens and sees for three years. This is amazing, right? This is what I signed up for. The blind, you know, as Jesus told John the disciples, uh, John the Baptist disciples, the blind see, the lame walk, you know, this is awesome. Peter sees it for three years. So much so, he is all in. So much so that they celebrate that last Passover. And Jesus says a weird thing. He says, Tonight, you guys are going to bail on me. But after I rise from the dead, meet me up in Galilee. But Peter's been seeing this. He forsook all. He's been seeing and, and hearing all this now for three years. You know what Peter says? Famous words, right? Yeah. What did Peter say? Hey, if all these losers forsake you, I'm all in. I will never forsake you. You ever done that? 
You ever said something stupid? No. <laughs> well, I have. <laughs> Peter's all in. I don't care if any of these losers forsake you. I am all in. And Jesus says, famous words, right? Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. And we know the story. Peter went on to deny Jesus three times that he even knew him. Did he deny him to uh, some intimidating centurion with a, a knife at his neck? No. no. Denied him to like a teenage girl yeah. warming herself by the fire. Yeah. Right? He completely caved. He completely caved. After Jesus told him, from now on, you're going to catch men. After he watched Jesus heal people, do miracles. After he listened to amazing sermons. No doubt, as John says at the end of his gospel, way beyond what's even recorded is what Peter would have been exposed to. And at the end, when push comes to shove, when the moment of truth comes, Peter fails big time have you ever signed and, and then not only that that's peter that's from peter's perspective right what about from jesus perspective the guy that's healing everybody the guy that's the answer to our salvation all of that we know from the from the from the gospel accounts that his disciples, even at the point of Jesus' death, they didn't, they didn't get it, right? They didn't really fully get that he's going to rise from the dead three days later, and this is how we have it. We have the, the benefit of looking backwards. But they didn't. And so from, from Peter's personal perspective, in terms of this relationship, on Peter's end, he failed. On Jesus' end, from Peter's perspective, he also failed. Right? Does Jesus look victorious hanging on that cross? They're saying, hey, big guy, if you're the king of the Jews, just come down off that cross. He does nothing. Hebrews says, now, we, again, have the benefit of hindsight. We have perspective. Hebrews tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. What was the joy that was set before him? Relationship with us. Is that crazy? So, from Peter's perspective, he failed. From Peter's perspective regarding Jesus, because this is a relationship, Jesus also failed. We could call Peter probably disillusioned, to say the least, right? So here's the question as it relates to us personally. Have you ever signed up for something only to realize it wasn't quite what you expected? Have you ever done that? Some of us laugh. Some of us are grinning about those things, right? Yeah, I signed up for that job. Oh, he was so nice in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> right? I remember one time. This this is completely tangential, and I'm aware of it. Okay, it's okay if I'm aware of it. <laughs> I went to job. I went to work one time as a waiter. I was a killer waiter. 
until I spilled wine on that lady. But it was good because she had kind of a maroon colored dress. And I tried to explain that to her, and that didn't work either. I said, it's okay. It, it kind of matches your dress. But anyway, I went to, I remember the, in the interview, this guy acted like he was my grandpa. Like the nicest guy in the world. He was so chill. We're just like hanging out. I thought we were going to start playing cards or something in the interview. I'm just hanging out. My first night at work, he's in the mode. And he's yelling and, and moving and, and, I'm sorry, sir, can you explain this to me again? No, I can't explain this to you. Get out of my way. And I thought, oh, wow, this is not what I signed up for, right? There are lots of times in life that it's not quite what we signed up for. Imagine again, what if you forsook all? And that was not quite what you signed up for in your mind. What if you have sacrificed in your mind everything to follow this guy that's now dead? Right? And even at the point that we're going to read here in John, he's, he's appeared to the disciples a couple times, but it just still seems kind of weird. Right? So Peter would have been disillusioned. He would have been hurt. He would have been guilty. He would have felt like a failure. He would have been hopeless. And what does that do? That sets the stage for John chapter 21. Turn over to John chapter 21. So just, I want to paint the picture. Jesus calls Peter. He says, from now on you're going to catch men. Three years have come and gone. Lots of amazing ministry. Jesus has done everything that he's supposed to do during his tenure on earth. And Jesus dies. And then Jesus raises from the dead. He's appeared a couple times, but it just doesn't seem quite right. So you're Peter. What do you do? John 21. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to, his, to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which again is another word for the Sea of Galilee. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. What? He's going what? I thought he forsook all that. Are there men under the water that he's going to go catch? Because from now on he's going to catch men. Is he going for scuba divers? No, he's going fishing. For fish, thank you. There's clarity. He's going for fish. Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night, what are you going to guess that they caught? Nada. Zilch. You see this? Look back up the top. After these things. That's a mouthful. After what things? After the life of Jesus, after the death of Jesus, and after the resurrection of Jesus. There were lots of things. But God wants us to know that for the context of this story. And what's this story about? This story is about Jesus showed himself again to the, to the disciples. We're going to read this story. It seems like it's all about Peter. This story is all about Jesus showed himself. 
Our story is not always about what we think it's about. You hear me on this? Our story is not always about what we think it's about. Our life is not always about what we think it's about. Our circumstance is not always about what we think it's about. This story looks like it's about Peter, but really, the Bible tells us, this story is about Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. He showed himself, and I'm going to explain to you how he showed himself. That's how this sets the stage. So Peter says, I'm going fishing. Can I tell you this? Can you hear me loud and clear on this? When you get discouraged, and this Christian life doesn't seem like it's what you signed up for, the most tempting thing to do is to go back to what you knew. The most tempting thing to do, if you're a Peter, and you're discouraged, or it doesn't quite meet your expectations, or you thought when they invited you to come forward and sing Just As I Am that it'd be, it'd be easy-peasy from now on, and you discovered that it wasn't necessarily easy-peasy from now on, and so you decided, you know what? I'm going fishing. That's the story too often. You can fill in the blank. It may not be fishing. It's something. It's something, that, it's something other than forsaking all and following him, but it's the same thing. It's fishing, right? When we get discouraged, the easy way out is to go back to what's familiar rather than to rely and stand on. Remember what I said earlier? To stand on the truth of God's word. God's word came out of the mouth of Jesus. From now on, you will catch men. Is Peter standing on that? When he goes fishing? No. He's going back to his old stuff. He's not standing on the Word of God. We have a choice, day by day, moment by moment, discouragement by discouragement, of whether we will go back to what's familiar and easy and comfortable and safe, or if we'll stand on the truth of God's Word. And that will define us so often. Notice also, bad habits, bad attitudes are contagious. Who said I'm going fishing? Peter. Peter. What did six other guys say? Yeah, what the heck, we'll go with you. Bad attitudes, bad, bad habits are contagious. And just notice, just, I like the, the postscript on this. They fished all night and caught nothing. That's often how life works when we're doing things on our own. Yeah. So, the story's not over. Verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they said, no. So I got to like this image. They're out on the boat. It's early morning. They can't quite tell who the guy is on the shoreline. But it's some guy that says, I mean, I've said this before. I love this, I love this image because I've, I've been this guy so many times, right? You're on the beach in Florida or somewhere, right? And there's a guy there, right? You know the guy. You've seen him, right? He's got four or five poles that he only uses one at a time. Explain that to me. But he's got four or five poles here, right? He's got all the garb. He's got buckets and, you know, 
he's done this before. This is not his first fishing rodeo, right? And you come up because you're a tourist. And what do you say? Catch anything? And he always looks you in the eye in an engaging sort of a conversation and said, glad you asked. I'd love to talk about it. Is that what he says? No. What is he? He's annoyed by your stupid question. Right? He'll never look you in the eye if he's a good fisherman. He'll never look you in the eye. He'll, he'll maybe grunt with some kind of one-syllable answer that you can't quite discern whether that was yes or no. And so you've got to look in the bucket for yourself. Right? Anybody ever been a tourist besides me? That's how it goes. Right? So these guys are professional fishermen. A guy that would appear to be a morning beach walker says, hey, you guys catch anything? And they said, no. So, catch this now. Professional fishermen out here on the boat, fishing all night. When you've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything, you're in a good mood or bad mood? Bad mood. You in the mood for stupid questions? No. Are you in the mood for suggestions? Fishing tips? From a tourist on the beach, right? Tourist on the beach says, you know what you ought to do? You ought to take that net and throw it on the other side because there's different population of fish on that side than there was on the first side. You professional fishermen that have been doing this all night. You like that idea if you're a professional fisherman? No. No. Now, from Jesus' perspective... He's risen from the dead. Okay? If you just rose from the dead, let's say, I mean, we can't, we gotta, you can get pretty blasphemous pretty quick, right? But let's just say you're going to rise from the dead. How would you sort of make yourself known? Stranger on the beach asking what seems like stupid fish questions? If it were me, there would be a parade, right? There would be announcements. It would be all over the Internet. And everybody in the world would know that I have risen from the dead and I am now presenting myself to the world. Right? Isn't that how you do it? Jesus does it so obscurely. See, here's the thing. If I do it like this, I'm just doing it so I can get the glory. That's fundamentally contrary to the nature of God. Right? I love this. Please don't miss this. Jesus shows up on a beach because he has got a plan to restore this broken, disillusioned, discouraged young fisherman. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing way better than I would. So he says, throw it on the other side. Please catch this. Often in life, Jesus shows up sort of quietly on the shore in our lives. No big fanfare, no big parade. Sometimes we'd like to see a parade because it'd be a little more clear. 
but oftentimes he just shows up as a still small voice on the side of the shoreline. So he says, hey, throw on the other side. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now I told you in the beginning, in the verses in Luke, when Jesus told Peter to throw on the other side of the, la- of the boat, he did, because he's teachable and humble. I want you to catch this. Peter is okay throwing his net on the other side of the boat. Peter is not so hardened. Peter is not so bitter. Peter is not such a fishing expert that he can't receive instruction from a stranger on the beach. What is it that stands in the way so often of my relationship with Jesus? We said it's a relationship, right? A relationship is a daily, ongoing thing, right? Just like any other human relationship. It's, 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 it's a continual act or series of acts of fellowship, right? When that fellowship is challenged, if my fellowship with Jesus is challenged, what is it that usually challenges that? Is it his lack of love and pursuit of me? No, it's my pride and resistance to receive from him. You want to see somebody that has not much fellowship with God? You'll usually see a pride or bitter, a proudful or bitter person. I'm just calling it. But that's usually what you see. You don't see somebody that just doesn't quite comprehend who God is because that, that information is available for us. Okay? But Peter, for all of his failures, he's okay taking advice from a guy on the shore. And we find out that it's none other than Jesus Christ. So, therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, it's the Lord, right? We've, we've seen this thing before. He told us back in Luke chapter 5, throw on the other side of the, of the boat. We did. We caught a bunch of fish after fishing all night and catching nothing. He did the same thing again. This is familiar. I think that's Jesus on the shore. And now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he'd removed it and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from the land, but about 200 cubits dragging the net with the fish. In our lives, our failures don't need to define us. Our, misconcep- our misconceptions of God don't need to define us. In this case, what's important is that once Peter recognized Jesus, nothing else mattered. He wanted to be with Jesus. He jumps in the water and swims to the shore and leaves the fish behind. He jumps in the water, swims to the shore, and leaves the fish behind. Remember the woman at the well, John chapter 4? Woman at the well, she brings her water pot out to this well. It would have been a big job, right, to come get water. Her purpose that day when she got up was to go to the well to get water, right? And the story, as the story unfolds, Jesus meets her there. Jesus graciously deals with her situation, lovingly ministers to her, reveals to her who he is, 
And by the moment she recognizes who she is, what does she do? It says she left her water pot at the well and ran to town to tell everybody, I just found the Messiah. You know how you can tell if you've had an encounter with Jesus or not? Hear me on this. You know how you can tell if you've, if you've, encountered a, if you've had an encounter with Jesus? Usually by your response. What else matters after you've had an encounter with Jesus? Not the water pot. Not the fish. Being with Jesus. Telling other people that you found the Messiah. That's the kind of stuff that now matters. Does Peter care about fish right now? Nope. All he cares about is being with Jesus. Usually as it boils down, we have a choice to walk in pride or walk in fellowship with Jesus. Usually that's how it sorts out. Verse 9. Then, as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you've just caught. So, you got it like this. Jesus is the supplier. Does Jesus need our money or our fish? No. Can, is Jesus capable of making breakfast without our fish? Yep. Can he start a fire without our matches? Yep, it would appear so. Right? But he invites us to bring our fish with him, with us, just to join the party. It's all part of the fellowship. Is it a recurrent theme here? It's fellowship with Jesus. Right? Jesus has got everything going. He doesn't need any of their help. He doesn't need any of their fish. But he says, hey guys, bring your fish on over here that you just caught. Let's eat some fish together. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. Every commentator on earth has speculated what that 153 means. And I won't be wrong with them. So we'll just say, you know what it means? 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Isn't that a great story? I mean, we could stop there, but we won't. The story here is that Peter has gone fishing because he's so discouraged. He goes back to his old life. Jesus is standing on the shore, tells him to throw the net on the other side. They do. As soon as they recognize it's Jesus, Peter jumps in the water and swims to the shore because he wants to be with him. Jesus is already there. The meal is already prepared. Everything's done. Everything required for a relationship is already there. But Jesus just invites Peter and the guys to drag their fish up and join the party. Such a picture of life. Such a beautiful picture of life. But we got a little loose end to deal with. Anybody remember the loose end to deal with? Hey, if all those losers ever deny you, not me. I'm on the A squad. Right? I'm your best player. Right? So, when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Now, we need to break this down just a bit. In the Greek, there are three primary words that are used that we define as love. There's eros, a physical love between a husband and a wife. There's phileo, uh, a brotherly, friendly kind of love, like we would have with one another. And there's agape, right, which is like self-sacrificing love, like God has for us, okay? Like, ideally, like husbands and wives should have for each other, like uh, just a self-sacrificing love modeled by God, okay? Interestingly, when Jesus asked this question, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love agape me? Do you agape, do you love me wholeheartedly, like forsake all and follow me kind of a love? And he says, do you love me more than these? Now, commentators have done two different things with this. Some say, do you love me, and and we don't have the video of it, right? So we don't know if like Jesus is pointing at something. But he says, do you love me more than these? And I like that it's probably intentionally a little bit ambiguous. The two interpretations of this are, do you love me more than these other disciples that are standing around? Because that's what he claimed, right? If all these other yahoos bail out on you, I won't. So Jesus is kind of calling him out on that. And then the other thing sometimes people interpret, then maybe these fish. Do you love me more than fishing? Right? Both apply in this situation. And probably he means both. Do you agape me more than all these other yahoos and more than fishing? Check this out. He says, do you agape me selfless? Peter says, oh yes, Lord, you know I phileo you like a friend. Peter does the downgrade. Right? Is that curious to anybody? What was he the night before Jesus died? He was overconfident. What is he now? He's humble. He's humble. Who do you think's better? Which, which, which condition do you think he's more ready to serve the Lord? Humble. So the response would be, all right. Jesus says, you love me more than these? He says, oh yeah, yeah, I love you like a friend. Jesus says, all right, that's awesome. Feed my lambs. No more complicated than that. Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love, do you agape me? Simon said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you like a friend. He said, all right, tend my sheep. You notice the complexity of Jesus' commands here? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, and this time Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Like, do you even, like, I'm not even expecting you to to completely self-sacrifice. I'm coming down to your level, is what Jesus is saying, right? Jesus meets us where we are. 
I mean, literally, he went from heaven to earth. Where do we live? We live on earth. Jesus meets us where we are. He said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved now because he said to him, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know I phileo you. Then Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, this is ministry. And if you've been here for any period of time, for the sake of visitors, tell the visitors what we all are. If we're Christians, we are what? Is it just me? No. Does it matter where we get our paycheck from? No. Do we have to get our paycheck from a church? No. So we're, you could even say we're even what kind of ministers? We're full-time ministers. Every person who wears the name Christian is a full-time minister whether it be in a secular job or a church job or a parachurch job or a... I don't care if you're standing on your head. If you're a Christian, you're a full-time minister. Because we're just responding to all that God has done for us and His amazing love for us. And how could I, how could I do anything but serve Him with a full-time attitude and mentality in the context of what He's done for me? And where it happens to be, what kind of building I go to or whatever, right? I'm going to go to work tomorrow on my day job, right? I hope I have the privilege of talking about how good God is tomorrow at my day job. Is that fair? Wait a minute, that's not Sunday. You get a pass on Mondays. Is that how it works? Of course not. So we're all full-time ministers. Here's the ministry. Best, I've been to lots of pastor's conferences, been to lots of ministry seminars, never seen anything better than this. All right, ministers, here's how it goes. Number one, feed my lambs. Number two, tend my sheep. Number three, feed my sheep. There you go. We're all ready for the ministry. Oh, but wait a minute. Let's highlight a couple things, if I may. Number one, these are all in response to the fact that we love Him. Don't do it with the wrong motive. Don't do it because you're trying to earn points or impress anybody. Don't do it because you think God will love you more. God can't love you more. God can't love you more than when you were in the pit of your lowest pit of sin. Don't do it to try to earn favor with God. Do it because, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Okay, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Oh yeah, I love you. Okay, then tend my sheep. Do you love me? Oh yeah, I love you. Okay, then feed my sheep. And by the way, whose sheep are they? They're God's. They're not mine. They're not yours. They're God's. So that's the ministry. All the sheep belong to Jesus. All ministry is because we love Jesus and not for any other motivation. 
And you know, the reality is, if we do it because we recognize Jesus for who He is, we've already received our reward. We're just responding with thankful service. He gives us a little postscript. Most assuredly, he says to Peter, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, most historians say that Peter uh, was crucified. And when it came time to crucify him, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. And so they crucified him upside down. And the, the point that Jesus is making here is, when we surrender to Jesus, when we say, yes, I love you, and he says, okay, therefore, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep, we don't know always what that looks like. And so there may be times that we're disillusioned. There may be times that, like Peter, we're discouraged. There may be times that it doesn't quite work out like we think, or it's not quite what we felt like we signed up for. There will be times like that. And Jesus says, I understand all that. It's okay. Go for it anyway. And Peter then, this time around, goes for it to the point of being crucified upside down. When Jesus says, follow me, we've got to decide if we're okay with that. Follow me. And this is where I always go back to the character of God. God's, God will allow us to go through some hard times. God will allow situations that we don't understand. But when he says, follow me, I want us to know who it is we're following. We're following a God that died for us. We're following a God that loves us so much that he died for us. So he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turning around, like any good minister would, and so God gives us this because uh, we're all ministers. So like any good minister, Peter turns around and says, what about that guy? You ever done that in the ministry? That guy gets to pastor a super cool church. I just get to pastor a cool church. Right? That guy pastors a, and we've got words for it now, right? What's the word? That guy pastors a mega church. Parenthetically. I'm super thankful that I get to be here. Peter turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, and be John, following, who also had leaned on his chest at the dinner, at supper, on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, who's the one who betrays you? So John's just telling us who we're talking about. Lord, who's the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said, Lord, what about that guy? Jesus said, you know what, if I, want to, if, I want, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. My mother used to say it. You worry about Scott, right? You worry about Scott. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple John wouldn't die. Yet Jesus didn't say that he wouldn't die. He just said, if I will that he remain till I come, what's that to you? 
This is a disciple who testifies to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. This is how we know when you see people say, you know, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we're talking about this as John. John tells us that's who it is. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. What a great, great postscript. The life of Jesus and service to him can never be fully explained by words, but it is blessed beyond measure. So, have you ever confused religion with a personal relationship with Jesus? Can I encourage you to be careful not to do that? Have you ever had a perception of God that was unloving or somehow not biblically accurate or... Uh, have you formed an opinion of God by anything other than the Scripture? Can I encourage you, please don't do that. Have you ever been discouraged or disillusioned as you tried to follow Jesus? Perhaps you had too much confidence in yourself, right? Are you okay following Jesus in response to all that he's done for you and serving his people simply, without necessarily the glory, without necessarily worried about the other guy? Are you okay feeding his lambs, tending his sheep, feeding his sheep in response to all that he's done for us? Only we can decide that individually. Only we can decide that individually. There are barriers to, to doing that. We can be too proud. We say, I'm not throwing that net on the, uh, net on the other side of the boat. I'm a professional, Right? Say that's stupid. That guy's a that guy's just a tourist on the seashore. I'm not going to listen to him. You can do that. You have free will to do that. But I can tell you this. As I said to a friend of mine, I think I referenced this a couple weeks ago. I remember talking to a friend of mine, and I said, "I've lived your life, and I've lived my life. You've only lived your life." the life of rejecting Jesus. I understand what they both are. And I can tell you, I know the difference. There is nothing like forsaking all and following him. It's blessed beyond measure. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. Thanks that you give us your word, you give us your Holy Spirit, you guide us and lead us. You're our shepherd, and therefore we have no want of anything. You lead us beside still waters, you restore our soul. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives of serving you. And yet, Lord, we know it's not always easy. And so, Lord, we ask that we would just respond faithfully to a relationship with you. Have your way with us, Lord, please. And Lord, as I think about it now, we pray you bless this food that we're about to eat and uh, that you bless our fellowship even more so. In Jesus' name, amen.